0: City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Bus City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated.
1: And welcome to the first ever episode of the Hornets Draft Show on the All Hornets Podcast Network. Um, This is going to be your one-stop shop for everything NBA draft related. And I'm very happy to say joining me, up until the draft and maybe summer league is my good friend, my former co-host about the Hive Live, Chase Whitney.
0: I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, James. I'm very very much looking forward to talking draft with you over the next month or two. It's a it's a good time to be a Hornets fan right now. There's a lot of things that could happen. It's very exciting.
1: It's a good time, and you know Mitch Kupchak had his media availability the other day, and he even said like. It was a real silver lining with that New Orleans pick coming kind of I think there was a pretty down feeling around the organisation after that playing loss. And then that just kind of uh was a nice little sweetener in the end of the season. So uh just to recap, if you've been living under a rock somewhere, the Hornets have the thirteenth, the fifteenth, and the forty fifth pick in this year's draft. Um so they're probably gonna be looking at guys throughout the lottery, middle first round, middle of second round, undrafted, they're gonna be looking at guys everywhere. So, there's a lot of guys to cover in this year's draft, and I think what, what we're gonna try and do in this podcast is really give you some draft analysis, but all with the, always with the Hornets in mind, always Hornets specific. We're not gonna be talking about, you know, who the number one pick is loads. We're not gonna be talking about, um, guys who might be going at the, the late first round. Unless there's a trade, I think it's pretty unlikely the Hornets end up drafting there. So we're gonna try and focus in a little bit more. But, This is a a really big week in the NBA draft because it's the culmination of the G League combine and the Chicago NBA draft combine. So you get a lot of your prospects coming through, doing measurements, doing some drills, playing some five on five. And the the very top guys, the kind of top 10 prospects don't generally take part in this, but you've got your kind of late lottery and everyone else will, will be taking part. So it's a really good data point. It really feels like it's the start, the launch of the draft cycle and for our first show, Chase, I think it's a great place to start. So, um, I guess, just want to explain a little bit about how the, the G League and the Chicago Combine work and what the difference is between those for listeners who might not know.
0: So, essentially, the G League Elite Camp is like a prerequisite to making the Combine. It's typically like players that are in the lower end of draft boards compared to guys that get invited to the combine, which I think there are 75 players that they invite um, just in their original uh, invitation round. And the best players in the G League Elite camp, which is kind of just determined by a group of scouts, GMs, people there, people in the NBA, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the exact criteria and who gets to choose who advances from the G League Elite camp, but the best players there get an invitation to the NBA combine uh, which is just a couple of days afterwards. Uh, this year, it was Jared Roden, Tyrese Martin, Kenneth Lofton Jr., and a couple others. I think they take seven guys each year. Um, don't,
1: don't worry if you don't know who any of those people are. I just want to say, if you're thinking right now, oh my God, I don't know any of those names, and I'm listening to this podcast, this is my first time, it is not expect. I, I didn't really know who a couple of those guys were. So don't worry. Like We're, we're not going to be running through all 76 prospects here. But, um, but these are a couple of those guys I think will come up later in the show.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I, for me, a couple of the, uh, the G League elite camp and the, both the NBA combine, I, I, I'm a big college basketball fan, so I love watching them, but, uh, the, the NBA combine scrimmages, I think, uh, for Hornets fans that are like watching players that they might be drafting or something like that, those are probably going to be what we want to key in on if you're looking to, uh, condense as much information as you can and, get as much out of it in a short of a time. But the G League Elite Camp is definitely a, a fun event to watch. And I think it's a good opportunity for some lower-end uh, draft players to make a more national impression.
1: Yeah. And I think like last year in the Chicago Combine, uh, there was a couple of players who really, really helped their stock uh, mm-hmm. by, by actually playing, whereas a lot of players seem to dodge it now. But, like, the big guy who I think everyone's talk about is, is Mr. Riser. last year was Bones Highland who played one game on the first day, went off for like 20-something points, just looked a class above everyone else on the court, and then he shut it down the next day, which is something that happens pretty regularly throughout the draft combine. is suddenly prospects just stop doing measurements or don't take part in the shooting drills or don't play games. Um, but Burns Highland probably rose up last year, got selected by the Denver Nuggets. Um, there's probably other people, I can't remember anyone else off the top of my head, you might be able to remember from last year, but... That there are always some people who are really going to rise up into that, like, middle first-round territory, which I think there's probably one or two who played this year and, and probably going gonna to be in that sort of range.
0: Yeah, no, there there are definitely a couple of guys that um, helped themselves this year. And I, it's inter- uh, interesting that a lot, like, you bring up the players, like, missing the scrimmages and interviews and all that, measurements and all that type of thing. But uh, I feel like it is happening a lot more this year. That it had, uh, in other years. And my, uh, reasoning for that, I think is a lot of people have talked about also, like, these, some of these prospects, especially the younger ones, uh, that are like one and duns or, you know, international guys or something. They missed, like, really, really crucial years of player development with, uh, COVID basically wiping out, like, two years, uh, yeah. and making them, like, extremely abnormal situations to have to play basketball in. So part of me thinks that a lot of these guys' agents are just, like, A lot, like a lot of these players are projects right now. Like the the, even in the beginning of the draft, the middle of the draft, the end of the draft, there are a good amount of players that you know still have a lot of work to do, even if they have an like an impressive or attractive base level skill set. And at at a certain point in the combine, it just gets to be where teams are more looking for what you can't do than what you can do. So I think that it's probably it might be beneficial for a lot of these players to just kind of show the things that they're good at in drills, uh, like certain measurements or something like that. And then just kind of be like, whatever you need to work on, like we'll do that when I get into the NBA. But I'm not going to cost myself money by showing you right now, which I mean, I, I get that. But I mean, out for a team, obviously, you you still want them guys to play, guys to measure out uh, and stuff like that. But I mean, it makes sense from both sides, and that that's kind of my my assumption as to why this might be happening, because they are guys skipping like interviews and stuff, which. I think JD Davison, Jaden Hardy, and Oshay Abaji are the three that I can remember off the top of my head that aren't, didn't even do the media interview, which is like, that's, I hadn't really ever heard of that, uh, for like high profile prospects that aren't, you know, like the number one pick or something like that. Like usually guys in the middle of the first round or something like that can just benefit by doing everything. You don't really have that much to lose, but. I well, get why people think they have more to lose. Yeah, year.
1: I mean, JD Davison wishes his middle first round, right? So, um... yeah, right. <laughs> that, yeah, that's probably true. That that was the
0: one that was that confused yeah. me the most was because he he that could really true. benefit by doing some of this stuff, okay. but I don't know. I guess the his agent or and himself and his part camp felt differently.
1: Yeah, and like what happens a lot of these camps. Um, so some people might know Bobby Marks for ESPN, former front office worker. Like he does mock interviews with some of these players at the combine. So. He's kind of pretending to be like a team, asking questions, and he'll give them tips. So part of me wonders, like, they did a mock interview with J D. Davison, and then they're like, "You shouldn't speak to teams. <laughs> like, <laughs> you shouldn't speak to teams or the media." Uh, but no, I'm, that's just me having a bit of fun there. Um, right. So that's what the combine is. We're going to be touching on that later. Firstly, last week was also the, the NBA draft lottery. I mean, this week, um, and. It wasn't complete chaos at the top of the draft lottery, but definitely we now have a set draft order, which I always never put too much stock into where I think people go until we've got a set draft order. We finally have that. So, Chase, I'm going to get kind of your take on this. Do you see from from the draft order, that the main difference being that uh the Kings jumped up and the Pistons slid down a little bit, do you see any risers or sliders? in that draft lottery, you know, we're not going to be affected right at the top of the draft, but the knock-on effect down to Charlotte picking at 13 and 15, if they keep those picks. Um, yeah. Any takeaways there on risers and sliders for you?
0: So I, first of all, I think it's cool that Orlando got the number one pick. Uh, right. every, every 20 years, they just get a crack at a generational big man prospect and the first two worked out pretty well. So hopefully, uh, it can go well for Chet or Jabari or Paula, whoever they end up with there. But um, I think that the one how the, the biggest way that the lottery shakeout affected the Hornets was that I really don't think it's like Jalen Duran falling to 13. Mm-hmm. Not that it was a, a huge possibility to begin with, because he's a really good player. Um, but it, it's like almost impossible for him to fall there now, I think, because if the Pistons were in the top three, obviously they're getting Jabari, Paula, or Chet, who would be a big man. And then if the Kings were lower... You know, they could still take Jaden Ivey, maybe, like Shaden Sharp or something, but then they probably wouldn't take Jalen Duran or anything, because they have Sabonis and Rashawn Holmes right now, who, Rashawn, they don't even seem to want. Come on over to Charlotte, my friend, but um, I don't think that they would take We
1: can't keep going back to Rashawn. This is like the (laughs) ex-girlfriend, Chase. This is the (laughs) ex-girlfriend, like, I can't text her. You might be the new I can't text her. Rashawn Holmes, are you available? Are you you free this evening? (laughs) (laughs) No, literally,
0: but... Uh, I don't think that the Kings would take a center uh, but they moved up into a position where they can take you know Jaden Ivey the best guard or whoever they imagine is the best one available and the Pistons still having a hole not like a hole necessarily but having a need for a big man that could develop alongside Cade Cunningham are in like the perfect position to just take Jalen Duran because he's like one of the best players available.
1: I've not heard much Duran to Detroit at five, but actually now you talk about it like I don't think Isaiah Stewart is stopping you from drafting right. Duran. Right. Like I yeah, that's that's interesting.
0: And I also think that if the Blazers can't trade this pick, he kind of profiles as like a type of player that they would draft because they don't they're not afraid of developing and play- I mean even players have traded for, like they just traded for Keon Johnson. Like, they're clearly not afraid of developing guys uh, in the NBA because they don't even have a G League team. So they're, they are fine with drafting guys that need lots of work or lots of minutes to develop or something like that. So I think that's interesting because they don't really have any bigs, uh, what, whether young or old, because Nurkic is a free agent. Uh, the, I don't think the Pacers are going to draft a center. But pretty much every team between 5 and 13, with the exception of the Pacers, and I think the Pelicans could talk themselves Mm. into drafting the highest upside center that's available on the board uh so that one i think is a little bit unfortunate for the hornets almost they want to package both of their picks and move up a couple spots but then then again i don't know if a team wants Jalen duran i don't i don't know if they'd be willing to take that anyway so
1: well that's the thing the interesting thing is it of those teams in that 7 to 13 range there's not many of them that are like tanking other right right uh, yeah. you've got portland new orleans the spurs washington the knicks then you've got OKC at 12, which is the pickers from the Clippers. So all those teams, they don't necessarily – they want to be good next year. They don't necessarily want to be waiting two, three years, I don't think, for someone to come good, which, which maybe changes things a little bit because there are That's kind true. of more experienced guys. And generally, big men take uh, a little bit longer to adjust to the NBA game and be effective than kind of guards. It's kind of very much a different game for bigs in the NBA than it is in college, whereas the guards – the similar principles that, to be honest, is generally more space. The the thing I find interesting here is OKC are at 12, and they're at number two. Now, if they, like, don't... If, if Orlando take Chet, and then OKC, let's assume they take one of Jabari or Paolo at two or three, I could see them still potentially wanting to fill, like, the big position at 12. So even yep. if Duran did somehow slip past Washington, who, like... They could very easily draft him over Daniel Gafford. New York, Mitchell Robinson's a free agent this summer. Like, who knows there? Like, even if he did get there, I could definitely see OKC taking him. The only thing is, is if Orlando take Jabari at one, OKC take Chet at two, then I don't think they're going to be wanting to draft Chet and Jalen Durrans. So if you're wanting to cheer for the Durant slide, I think you're cheering for Chet to go number one so that neither OKC or Houston take him at 2 or 3. So sorry. They don't have big men so that later in the draft OKC don't take him at 12.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree cuz Oklahoma City especially like they they don't have any sort of positional like needs to fill. They can just draft the best player available. And if they get, you know, a a less interior inclined player at number 2, I like, it's just so hard for me to believe that if Jalen Duran is there at 12, like, that he's not the best player there. Because they, even people who don't necessarily, like, value, value centers all that much, like, he's a pretty much a consensus top 10 player in this class. And for him to fall to 13 would definitely take a lot of luck, especially given he's the only center or, like, real big man at all, like, until you get to Mark Williams after the top three. So it's just – it's going to be – Difficult. It would take a very specific draft night scenario for him to fall to the Hornets, I think, but they do. They they have assets if they like are inclined on drafting him to move up and whatever, do whatever they need to do to get, to get into the draft range for him. So we'll have to see how much they even like him to begin with. But this is kind of just my thoughts on, you know, the Hornets trying to get the best non top three center available. And uh, I don't think that's going to happen anymore without some movement.
1: I'm going to give you a slider, I think from draft night, and that is Shaden Sharp, who I think going into the night, you're thinking it's the top four, well, it's the top three of Hongren, Smith, Mancaro. Then it's like Ivy and probably Sharp right behind them. But now I'm looking at it. I don't know if Detroit necessarily want to be waiting the time it's going to take for Shaden Sharp. Like, I think there they might want to go. Like, if Ivy's available, I don't think Sacramento are going to take Sharp. I just think, I know everyone's linking the, the Kings to Sharp because it's such a, a thing to do, but I just think Sacramento are going to play safe with this pick with, like, Ivy and Murray. Um, I actually don't, I, I like Sharp quite a lot. Um Me too. But I completely agree, it is a gamble here. Like, you don't know what you're getting. And I don't think Detroit are planning to be back, like, a top 10 pick again in their eyes next year after this one. So I think they want to maybe go a little bit safer with this. Um, and then you get into, again, like Indiana, Portland. I think you can say the same thing. They're teams that really probably want to be back trying to compete next year. And Shane Sharp, I don't think, no one knows or can have any confidence that he's going to be on the NBA court helping you play winning basketball in the next two years. So I, I don't think he's ever going to slip down to 13 or 14, but if you talk about, again, the knock-on effect, you can see shade and sharp slipping. That might mean that when you get to areas kind of like the Spurs or the Wizards later on in the lottery, guys like Matherin or Johnny Davis or Dyson Daniels who are in the, the running there, they could begin to slide down because of that shade and sharp slide.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I do, uh, I think it's funny that he's being so commonly linked to the Kings, just cause, like, of course the Kings would pick the mystery prospect that, like, nobody really knows anything about.
1: I, can't, I just don't buy it. I, yeah, I think that's
0: just a lot of guards.
1: Even they would be looking at themselves going, like, we can't do this again after trading away one of our three guards, to then, like, I, yeah, I, I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, like, I, I could, I mean, I get them picking Jaden Ivy, because you've seen two years of production from Jaden Ivy and know that, at the very least, he can come in and probably get to the basket really well, like right away at the, at least if he's not going to have any other skills. But, um, Shaden Sharp, you really just don't know because you haven't seen him play against anybody that's not in high school. Uh, and he, he rose from being an unranked recruit to being like the consensus number one, uh, and like being in the NBA draft in like less than two years. So it's like a very quick rise to the top for him. Yeah. Uh, and not, not that I think it's like a bad thing. Like, like you said, like I, you like him. I like him quite a bit too. Uh, I think he probably could be a really good NBA player. So it's like the development goes right and he goes, lands in the right spot. I, I think he'd, he'll be pretty good, but it's just it depends on like the, the team, the, how the draft board shook out did not help him or Jaden Ivey, I don't think. Cause I mean, the two teams that are outside of the top three have guard prospects that they really like and both of those guys are like especially ivy is more of like a combo guard Shaden sharp is i think is like a, a pure two but even with detroit like they have Cade cunningham they have they have like uh sadiq bay they have so m- multiple players that, not that you're not going to give the ball to Shaden sharp over sadiq bay if he ends up being good but they just have like the ball dominant guards already and it, i think it would make sense for them to explore, like, other directions that are, like, might be a bit safer if, like you said, they're trying to improve year over year. So, well, well, it it could definitely benefit or not benefit them. But that would benefit the Hornets, I think, if players like Dyson Daniels and Mather and Johnny Davis, A.J. Griffin even, like, start to slide down.
1: And I will say, I think I'm going to, our first little kind of pitch here, on SIHornets.com, which this podcast is affiliated to. Um, me and you posted our prospect rankings, where we ranked the top 15 players, uh, guards, wings, and forwards, and bigs. And interestingly, we use like a consensus ranking, so we both ranked independently, and whatever came came out overall, we we put the rankings on the website. We both net have Shaden Sharp over Jaden Ivey, which I think is probably quite a like an anti-ESPN mock draft take, like. Um, so I think you'll definitely find this is a, a shade and sharp positive place uh, here. Um, so, yeah, I- make sure if you do want to go check out those top 15 position rankings, just go on the SI Hornets website, click NBA draft at the top menu. It takes you right there, pinned to the top of the page. Um, we've got heights, wingspans, per 36 numbers on, field goal percentages. It's just a really good place. Ages. It's a really good place just to kind of get like an idea of, right, OK, who are the top players at each position? Um, and it's just a good resource to have. So, so make sure you go and check that out. Um, OK, I, I'm going to give you one more slider. It's the last guy i got on my list. And it's AJ Griffin, who <clears throat> kind of was probably in like the 10 to 15 range at the start of the year. Important to flag AJ Griffin. Major injury red flags. Like he had a, a very serious foot injury one year, knee injury, sorry, in high school. He then had a serious ankle injury as well. Um, he missed essentially two years and he was working out with his dad, which is Adrian Griffin, who's an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. Essentially working out with his dad for like two years. And that also overlapped with, with COVID as well. So really hasn't played that much and kind of got injured a little bit in the preseason, I believe with a knee sprain at Duke as well. But is obviously a great shooter. But I definitely feel that, again, that I feel like we're beginning to see a bit of a slide of the AJ Griffin just because one of those injury red flags, and then also just how the, the draft order has played out, I don't necessarily think any of those teams, are, it doesn't sound like any of them are absolutely in love with AJ Griffin. And this makes me think of like the Malik Monk situation, where we all presumed Malik Monk was going to go top 10, and then all of a sudden he slid to like the Hornets, and we were like, oh my God, run to the podium for Malik Monk. But actually there was, there was always reasons he was going to slide. So do you think it's likely that AJ Griffin could slide outside that top 10?
0: Yeah, I think he's probably another one of the, one of those guys that's like didn't necessarily benefit from the, how the draft board landed. Uh, not playing in a while definitely hurts, but he also, even as he has come back, doesn't look quite as athletic as he did, uh, when he was in high school, which was like the big thing with him is like, oh, he can really shoot, he can really score and he's super athletic. Like this is a perfect combination for someone who is likely to have like NBA size for a wing, which he certainly ended up having. He's six six and like two hundred and twenty pounds. He's really really strong. You can tell just like by looking at him that he is going to be like be able to hold up against NBA players. Um, he's but got it's a just body a like,
1: power forward, by the way. Yeah, no, like, he
0: looks he? he looks like a wrestler. Like his arms and shoulders are yes, massive. Like they he, are. He's, But a, he doesn't
1: really play. He's actually a no, very finesse player. Like he doesn't play with his size and strength you think oh he's gonna beast guys but you watch someone like johnny davis johnny davis is way more physical than adrian griffin and you think if johnny davis must be like god i wish i had adrian griffin's frame and my game
0: yeah yeah literally i mean johnny davis would probably be the best player in the nba if he was built like uh aj griffin and still had the same mentality that he does right now but um like AJ I think has an argument for he might just be the best shooter in the draft. I think the the two that I would choose as the best shooters in the draft right now are AJ Griffin and Hunching Lee. Um so I, I think barry
1: like, Smith. I'm sorry.
0: I think that's I, I that's definitely fair. I think that's definitely fair, but I I just think AJ is just so good off of screens. He can uh create off the dribble. He's obviously good just off of a standstill like uh like playing off of other players like Paolo uh and the Mark Williams pick and roll or something like that, but I th- and I, he does just not have the production. I guess uh, sustained production would probably be better than some of the other guys at the top of the board, uh, with the exception of Shaden Sharp, really. Um, he also and he also didn't really play that well at the beginning of the year. It took him a little bit to settle in, but once he did settle in, he was like really good. Um, so I, I I really like AJ Griffin. He's in the top six of my draft board, but uh, I would not be surprised if he slides down like a little bit I don't know if he slides to the Hornets range but if he was there and the Hornets didn't pick him that would it's that all would...
1: due to the medicals I'm telling yeah. you like if he's not holding back his medical if he's like talking about his medicals to teams because it's so bad like we've seen the medical slide around the draft time and time again and that's why I do think with the way the order's played out AJ Griffin could be one of those guys who just slide and then you kind of like well do we do we necessarily need another like six-six shooting wing? Like we are already a good three-point shooting team. I, that's a great question. <laughs> we'll we'll come back to that another point. So, um, I think we'll leave it there for the lottery fallout. Unless you've got anything else that you wanna you wanna get out there.
0: No, I think I'm good. We can move to the uh, the combine talk now.
1: Okay, let's move to combine talk. Very exciting time for combine talk. So, um, what we're gonna just we're gonna go a little bit of tennis here. So I'm gonna gonna give. A, a stat or a measurement or something from the combine that stuck out. Then Chase is going to go, and we're just going to going to fight back to one another, really. Um, so I'll get started with this. Um, let Let's get a start. Let Let's get a start with a negative one. Uh, Walker Kessler had the second highest body fat at the combine, of fourteen point seven percent. Which, if you want to be a big in the NBA and you want to guard on the perimeter, and when you're Walker Kessler, and that's probably like your biggest. Criticism as a prospect, that's just got to be a little bit of a red flag there for me. Like, and I know people always say, well, will you get NBA training conditioning program, yeah, but also like he's been a borderline not professional, but acting like a professional basketball player now for like last three years, and that fourteen point seven percent, that's pretty high. So that's one that for me was just like a little bit of a it not. It's not going to affect us necessarily. If he was lighter, he'd be able to guard better on the perimeter. But for me, it's more about, like, what does your mentality say if you're, like, that body fat percentage while you're trying to make the NBA? And he's not the only one, by the way. There are other people out there. Kenny Lofton Jr. didn't even measure, and there's probably a very good reason for that, because he would have probably broken a combined record. But, um, yeah, that's, that's just one for me. It, I didn't necessarily like, I, I know he's heavy on the perimeter when he's trying to move his feet, and that's a criticism. So then to have, like, that kind of overall weight and body fat come through is just, like, something that really reinforces, like, now it really makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely get that. But what, so I'm so confused by these body fat percentages, though, because some of them are so painfully, like, Musa Diabate's body fat percentage is 2.7%. Which like, isn't, I,
1: like, like, danger to life. Yeah, like, like I saw someone replying,
0: like, in the comments, like, if his body fat percentage is 2.7%, he should be, like, admitted to a hospital because (laughs) the pads on the bottom of his feet might be, like, wearing off, and he would just be walking on the bones of his foot. Like, I have no idea how true that is because I'm not smart enough to know, like, any medical information, but, like, it's just so low. Like, some of these are so low. I have no idea where they're getting them from or, like, how they calculate them or whatever, but...
1: I agree, and it's it's known to be something that you... Can struggle to always get consistency, but if, if it was low, then Walker Castle is even heavier than it's, I reported him to be. So I think at least you hopefully be consistent from prospect to prospect, even if they're all high or all low. So, um, go on. Do you want to, you want to hit us with another one? What stood stood out to you?
0: Mike Schmidt's telling the truth. Dyson Daniels, six, seven and three quarters in shoes. Uh, I'm in that interview that they had together. Uh, he mentioned that Dyson had gotten taller. He grew to like 6'8 from 6'6 six, six in the pre-draft process. Uh, and that was true. Uh, he's 6'7 uh, six, six, and 3 quarters, basically, in shoes. So that's going to be rounded up to 6'8. And this is, I also, I hate without shoes measurements. You don't play basketball. You play basketball with shoes on. I'm never going to have to worry about how tall someone is when they're wearing socks. I just not I've,
1: I've never disagreed with you more than I do right now.
0: Why? Like, why does it matter how tall someone is without shoes to play Because at the freaking draft on.
1: combine, people are putting all sorts of inserts in their shoes to like influence they that height. They wear them height. in the
0: game. They wear them. No, in the game, not though. necessarily. You, well, you could, you could, but I. Yeah, even but, if but the inserts are like so. Like, and Mark Williams got two inches off of his uh, exactly.
1: Mark Williams when, got with two. And, without shoes. Got two and Walker inches. Kessler
0: got like a quarter of an inch or something. Yes. Yeah.
1: So that's why I don't like the in shoes measurements because you go, oh, Mark Williams, he's an inch and a three quarters taller than Walker Kessler. No, he's not. It's just he's got some shoes. His agents or whatever have sorted something out, and he's got freaking padding in his shoes to make him taller. Like that's that's all it is. So that's why, like, I like the without-shoes measurement because I like to know how tall people actually are when they're not doing all these. If everyone wore the same pair of shoes like, I would all be for in-shoe testing, but this is where I'm like, I like to barefoot. I know what you mean, you don't play barefoot, but I like to, when you're trying to compare from prospect to prospect, barefoot is more comparable than with shoes on, so that is, that is my no-shoe rant, over.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, it's, I just, I, it's just not, it's just so, like, I just will never, because, like, you look at so, like, someone like Draymond Green is probably like 6'3 and a half without shoes on or something. But no one would never refer to him as being like 6'4 or 6'5. You would just be like, oh, Draymond's like 6'6 six, six, cause...
1: Well, that's cause that everyone's wrong! Well,
0: that's, <laughs> I mean, this is a, that's a common theme throughout all of life. So you're probably, you're probably right about that. But, he, he just plays, I don't know, it's just like, they wear shoes. If Mark Williams is wearing these padded shoes or whatever when he's playing, then, then he, then he's 7'2. I don't, I don't know. Like, he, he's... Standing at seven foot two seven foot two during a regulated basketball competition, so i mean i I definitely get where you're coming from, but it's just like I don't know it, because a lot, and only some players have like a big difference anyway, so it's not like uh yeah like everybody's off by like by like three inches or something it, it's only certain cases, but uh yeah so but anyway dyson Daniels six eight and three quarters in shoes uh I basically they made, yeah that almost adds another position that he can guard defensively like if he's that big. Or that tall, and he can bulk up like the slightest bit. He's probably a one through four defender, um, with how smart he is and how oh, fluid he is on the perimeter.
1: Absolutely, and I think Dyson Daniels' range right now is probably from like six to fifteen. Maybe yeah. maybe that's like six. And that I, I think the bottom end like of that 13.
0: is gonna start getting trimmed off pretty quickly. I think I think a lot of teams are going to start liking him. Like teams like New, uh, someone like New Orleans, like he would be so good there, or even Portland, he would be so good. The Spurs, like I know, the Spurs have a ton of players that kind of profile in a way similar to Dyson already, um, like at least physically. But he would be so good in that system too. Like I, I just can't. He's so he might be the most versatile defender or just player in general in like the top part of this draft that isn't in contention to go number one. So I, I, I can't see him having like a low draft floor. I, he he just the that type of versatility and feel for the game and playmaking compared coupled with size and pretty reasonable athleticism like he wasn't blowing away any of these combine tests, but he was pretty good in all of them and it looks similar on the floor too when he's playing in the G League. So I just can't imagine that that package isn't worth a top 10 pick in this class by the time the draft rolls around anyway.
1: I unfortunately agree, which is a shame because Dyson Daniels I was, was,
0: so bad for was like
1: my number one target for the Hornets, like yep. versatile it. defender, can pass the ball, can shoot, like if you want to get really nerdy, and we're talking about really draft nerdy right now, go watch Dyson Daniels' transition defense, just yeah. watch it on loop, because it's incredible, it's like two and threes and ones, and Dyson Daniels just ends up blocking all these shots or influencing mm-hmm. misses and getting the rebound, like I've never seen any single player who is, like, not big, just be so good at transition defense, single-handedly, like, is, is covering different angles, is deflecting passes, is doing everything. So if, if you really want to get carried away into the, the deep grass of NBA draft coverage, go watch that.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, hit me with your next one.
1: Okay, right. Chase, the, the Jalen Williams bandwagon oh. has, has left the station. The that train that
0: band, like, is speeding down the highway right now. That, it, it is.
1: It is at full speed right now. I mean, there was all like Jalen Williams. For people who don't know, is from UC Santa Clara. I think Santa I called Clara. It Santa
0: Barbara yeah. yeah,
1: Santa Clara. So played in the same division as Chet Holmgren and Gonzaga, the WCC, and was was a point guard, and yeah. then essentially had a a growth spurt, and is now like six 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 seven. Um, is like absolutely freaking as long as anything his wingspan i've written this down here and i'm now even doubting that i've written it correctly in fact that is that's mark williams wingspan we said before the draft we said before this podcast even that um
0: (laughs) that there's
1: too many williams in the draft and i've now realized that i've written down williams three times on my notes here without putting which one so i was about to read that his wingspan was seven foot six but it's not that good but i do believe his wingspan is about seven foot one from memory um, you might have it in front of you. Seven but
0: and two and a quarter. Seven, that's two and a quarter. Better. Yeah, that
1: gives him a plus eight Long, wingspan. Longer
0: than Tari Eason. So.
1: Yeah, that's a plus eight wingspan from his height, where he's like, like six, 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 seven. So you're now talking about, and and if you watch him play, he's not like one of these skinny six, seven guys. No, he no. is. He's like Adrian Griffin kind of frame. Like he's a big six, seven, six, eight, and with that wingspan, like you even saw it in the scrimmages, and we'll come on to that. Like, he's behind people, you think he's out the play, and he just reaches forward with these, like, never except never finishing arms to, like, reach away and tap balls and get deflections. Um so, not only was his play, I think he got forgotten about being out in the WCC, and, you know, people aren't gonna go watch Santa Clara much. So, people are seeing it in the tape before the combine, and then he's come to the combine and all the measurements, which he was incredible in, and then he's played in the scrimmages, which we'll touch on in a bit, which he's also played really well. So, He's someone who I think has probably gone from being like a second-round pick in the 40s to now I would be genuinely surprised if he's outside of top 20, top 25. Like, there's even some rumblings. I think Raphael Barley tweeted the other day, like, don't yeah. be surprised if Jalen Williams could be a lottery pick.
0: And I have a, a bit of an inkling as to which team that that Ooh. might be. Uh, if yeah. they, they, they wear purple and teal, my friend. I think oh. that, that could definitely be about the Hornets. Because, uh, like, i mean i love jalen williams too I'm, I'm with you i would be fine if he went in the lottery i don't think he's going to make it up to like the top 10 ish range that only leaves a couple of teams in that that raphael could be talking about and the hornets have 13 and 15 so even if he doesn't go quote unquote in the lottery he could be the first guy that's not the the first non lottery pick in the draft basically uh and go 15 to the hornets and I think he's a really great ball handler. He has like killer ball handling in tight quarters, and he's also good in the open court. But he is so good uh, with his the height and length and size that he has. I feel like when he goes between his legs or behind his back or something, he just has so much ability to like protect the ball, and he's so strong. And like when he goes up for shot transfers, like it's he doesn't get stripped. Uh, like players don't really block his shot that much because he's so long, and it's not like you can really get to his dribble because he's a really good ball handler. And he's strong and quick. Like, it, it's just, it, I think the only reason that he wasn't, like, a high draft pick is because he played in a mid-major conference uh, and, like, wasn't even on, like, a high-level team within that mid-major conference because, you know, Santa Clara didn't make the tournament, obviously. He didn't get that big stage. But as, you know, a non-draft, like, not people that don't get paid to cover the draft year-round, basically, uh, have had, like, more time to delve into film. It's become readily apparent that he is like, he has all the physical traits. He's shown what you want to see on film from like a wing slash guard ball handler. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's like a really good package to be like a mid to late first round pick. It's like, he's just screaming like that, that draft range. And I hope I love it's, I'd i be fine, I would be totally, what, what would you think if the Hornets picked them? I, I, I Obviously I'm sure you'd like it, but what, what, what like, would you think yeah. about that like, fit?
1: I think, obviously it always depends what else is on the board. <laughs> I, like, if you're talking about that group of wing prospects, where, like, you've got like, Agbaji, uh, Malachi Branham, uh, Kendall Brown, who are all like kind of small to larger wings, like Tari Eason, I like Jalen Williams more than any of those guys. And um, I know H I was, you know, Player of the Year. I know Malachi was like one of the best freshmen in the country. But I, I think the, the he's a, he's a good shooter. He's a good athlete. He's got incredible tools. And his passing is like for any wing, is probably the best wing passer, like maybe in the draft. Like Paolo mm-hmm. probably a little bit better than him. But like yeah. he's just I, I don't see what the weakness is. I think people generally point to sometimes in defense, but like he's only grown into his body recently. So so, Jalen Williams, plus eight wingspan, absolutely ridiculous. That's that's something that really stood out to me. You go. Right. What's next? Kennedy
0: Chandler, uh, highest max vert at the combine, 41.5 inches. Uh, I just wanted to bring this up because he's, like, such a tough evaluation for me because, like, one of my main draft tenets or, like, philosophical standpoints is that, like, you have to be a dynamite scorer at six foot Uh, and, like, 170, 175 pounds to last in the NBA or to be a starter. And he's not quite there in that regard yet. But, like, damn, he is just a really good basketball player, and he clearly is, like, an NBA athlete. Like, he's not, like, a slow or a non-explosive six-foot. Like, clearly he can get up there. Uh, And he... Just, he play, played like pretty well all season long at Tennessee. Like it, it's just, it's, he's been a really tough evaluation for me. So, uh, I'm curious as to see, uh, to hear your thoughts on Kennedy Chandler because it's so tough to slate where like small backup points guards can and should get drafted. Cause like I had Peyton Pritchard in the forties, not that I didn't like him, um, but I had him like in the forties or something and he got picked in the late twenties and it's like, okay, maybe that even was like a little bit too late for. How well he's playing in the playoffs right now, the role that he seems capable of playing throughout a regular season. So, uh, and Kennedy's not like similar, too similar in play style, but I think draft profile is a little bit. So what do you think?
1: Yeah. I, in, in terms of overall, I'm not a huge fan of Kennedy Chandler. Like, he, I think just think it'll be like a backup guard in the NBA. Like, right. uh, Tyus Jones style, like, I'm sure be perfectly capable. Um, the, the max. That was the Maxvert, wasn't it, that you referenced there? was 41.5. Yeah, yeah, the one where you get so to, So like, I'm to not start. a big Maxvert fan of of trying to measure athleticism. Like, that's where, essentially, you get to run up and you get to jump as high as you yeah, can. Yeah,
0: I think you get, like, three steps or yeah. something
1: like that. where, like, how often in a game, like, unless you're on a fast break, do you actually get to, like, one, two, three, load up, jump, and do something? Like, normally, it's, it, it's much quicker. So that's why I, I probably like the the the, the no-step vert a little bit more, kind of like testing out, like, ooh, can you, from a standing point, if someone raises up to shoot, how quickly can you get up to go challenge them? That's just a perfect preference kind of thing. So, no, not a massive Kennedy Chandler guy for me.
0: Well, his standing standing vert was 31 inches, which was tied with uh, Iverson Molinar for the highest among point guards, and he's shorter than Iverson Molinar as well. So, I don't know. It's just, I have him in, like, the mid-30s right now. I had him in the 20s at one point. Like it's just gone, it's just fluctuated a lot for me this year, yeah. and uh, I'll be interested to see where he ends up on draft night, regardless of where it is. But hit me with your next one,
1: okay? I think we go a couple more each here. Um, All right. Mark Williams, I, I know we're gonna end up talking about Mark Williams a lot here, but Mark, Mark Williams put up some freaky measurements 7 2 in shoes, 7 six and a half wingspan. A 9.9 standing reach and 242 pounds with a 5% body fat. So he's absolutely.
0: His fingers are one inch below the rim without jumping. Like, that is, that is ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Oh my I never even thought about it like that until just now. Oh my God. It's ridiculous.
0: It's his, like, it's, that's ridiculous.
1: So, I, I think Draft Express tweeted this out that Mark Williams compares favorably in a number of areas, especially in standing reach. Compared to Rudy Gobert, Javale McGee, and DeAndre Ayton, according to the Draft Express database. So, like, there's two guys there who are, you know, incredible. The other one has been like a 10-plus year NBA vet. Like, when you're that big and athletic, it's hard not to be effective. So, yeah, I thought that was that was a, a big one that stood out to me. Like, I knew Mark Williams was big and long. I didn't think he would be like top of draft express. Yeah, he'd
0: be he'd be the tallest player, the longest player, the highest standing reach. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure his hands hand size was up there as well. So I mean, it's like he has every uh, physical trait pretty much for like a rim protecting, like paint big man. So that he that that was it was definitely a good combine day for Mark Williams.
1: It was okay. Go ahead. Who've you got next?
0: Uh well, that's funny because my next one that I had listed was actually Mark Williams being the tallest and longest player at the combine. but um I'll kind of I'll, I'll go with this one can be short, but um Drew Timmy definitely could have used that three quarters of an inch so he'd be listed at six ten instead of six nine. Mm. Um, I think that just being able to round up and be like, yeah, I'm a six ten big man rather than six nine because that kind of gives the perception that you're like more undersized, uh even though it's really only like a half an inch or a quarter of an inch. Um, difference, and it could, like like you said, it could just be the shoes that he's wearing or something, but I feel like he could have used that, because he's not an overly athletic guy, obviously, so he kind of needs to be, or appear, anyway, as big as possible, but... Yeah, if you're um, not
1: athletic, you got to be big, and if you're not either, you got to be able to shoot, and he can't do those things.
0: No, no. Is he in your uh, top 60? I guess... Not at the moment,
1: but honestly, I have no idea what to do with Drew to me, because, like, I actually... Quite like his like energy leadership, uh, you know you watch him play basketball games and he just finds ways to contribute yeah. but um i I have no idea like uh, pass pass to tri- yeah. me like yeah, I wouldn't want to draft him, but I'd love to get that guy as an undrafted free agent and figure it out
0: right like if yeah if he somehow you know was like a two way or a g league player or something yeah. that's that's something you can be like really excited about, I feel like, but if you're spending like a guaranteed contract or like a roster spot. Then it's like, okay, this is yeah. you know, this is something that we really need to work out more so than can just be an experiment. But uh okay. well, you you want to do each do one more and then we can go. Yeah, let's
1: each do one more. I'm gonna go EJ Liddell, Stamming Vert, led everyone at thirty-five quick yes, time. Which for those who don't know E. J. Liddell, highly State, kind of power forward slash center, only six seven, he's got like a I want to say Grant Williams' body, but I think Grant Williams is, like, skinny compared to EJ Liddell. Yeah,
0: he's, like, like Draymond a little bit. Yeah, Yeah.
1: so thick, but, like, just unbelievably sick. And normally with those guys, they're really strong, but they're not great jumpers because they've got so much muscle uh, and everything else that they're just not explosive, not quick twitch. For him to have the highest no-step vert... That, like, legitimately had me, like, checking the stats to make sure they were right and hadn't gone wrong somewhere. In fact, I even looked at last year's combine because I thought Liddell went um, to see if I could find what he did last year. But I don't think he took part last year. So
0: I think he was only in the uh, G League camp last year. Was he? I think okay.
1: so. Okay. That would be why. So, for him to be that explosive, like, he's only 6'7", six, six, but for him to be that explosive with the with a positive wingspan as well – that's really positive for him, like because I would have described him as a poor athlete, and now that's making me think I need to reevaluate like what I'm thinking. And now it makes some sense, like how we can rise over people to shoot jump shots because you can just get such height on that on that kind of on those jump shots. The apex for him is just so high.
0: And I think on top of that, like I, I also would not have imagined him being that athletic. I kind of thought he was like he was pretty mobile in the way that like. Nick Batum, anytime he wasn't wearing a Hornets jersey, like it was, or even early in his Hornets career, like he's obviously a little bigger than Nick, but he kind of played like that mobile shooting four role, and he can, he can really shoot the ball. Like, he, like for a six, seven small ball-ish, like forward slash big, like I think he's going to be a really legitimate shooter in the NBA. He's going to be good off pick and pops. I think he'll be good, you know, just like waiting in the corner for the main offensive engines to kick it out to him. He can create his own shot a little bit from, from deep. Like if he catches the ball, he can do some like cup one, two dribble step backs. Like I, he's just, I, he's just going to be a good player. I think I liked him a lot last year. Uh, he's going to, he's in the first round for me, like probably right towards the end, but still, you know, I think he should get a guaranteed contract next year. Uh, and I was really happy that he could, you know, show his athletic ability at the, at the combine as well. He had a, his standing bird was two inches higher than second place uh, Christian Brownett. 33 and a half. And yeah. our friend Jalen Williams was also 33 and a half. And if you, if any of the listeners are like going through these anthrometric or the um, strength and agility tests and just like filtering them, you'll see Jalen Williams name at the top or near the top on like <laughs> high majority of them. Uh, and it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty funny that he's just like pretty constantly up there.
1: Yeah. Um. Ejen Liddell, I caught him 23rd I, again, to bring it back to the Hornets. I would not rule out Charlotte being interested in EJ Liddell at 15. Nope. If, if you're talking about we need someone who can come in and play in the rotation right away, like he's got a man's body, he's experienced with him being you know, a multi-year college player, he's added a three-point shot. There's not really much that he can't do. It's just not more about his kind of like height limitations. Um, but like we've all seen the podcasts and articles talking about, look at the playoffs right now. Who's playing in the game who's over like 6'9". Uh, You've got like Robert Williams, bam. That's, you know, Dwight Powell for two minutes before he gets pulled. There's not that many big guys playing regularly. So, um, yeah, I got EJ Liddell 23, but I think it would be a bit of a reach at 15, but it wouldn't absolutely floor me. Like, I I wouldn't like to do it, but being where the Hornets are obviously going, where they're trying to move towards being more compete now, which I think is pretty clear from from the moves made this offseason with the head coach, He's someone who is probably most NBA ready, especially compared to other guys in that range, whether it be uh, Patrick Bolden Jr., Usmani Jeng, uh, Jaden Hardy. like Those guys are, are not going to be anywhere near as ready as EJ Liddell.
0: Yep, I agree. I, w- I would be fine with the Hornets taking it. Or not. I guess not fine, because it would be a little bit of a reach in terms of draft value. But if he ended up a Hornet on draft night, I, I would be pretty happy about that. All right, my last, last one. one. I think that these are two players that I just really like in this draft. Um, Justin Lewis and Ron Harper Jr. They are both really big and really long for, like, wings. Justin Lewis is 6'8 with a 7'3 wingspan. Ron Harper Jr. is 6'6 with a 7'2 wingspan. Both of those guys can really score. They can shoot, uh, and they're both over 220 pounds, or 230 pounds, I should say. Ron Harper is 6'6, 240 with a 7'2 wingspan, uh, and he can re- really shoot. So I that that is a draftable player to me. I I'm not sure how many other people um like on draft Twitter or, or mainstream analysts have him in their top sixty or I hate having to say top fifty eight. It's just such a dumb thing. Just that, just that um, yeah. No, just six two players are gonna get, you know, an undrafted contract anyway. So whatever. It's a top sixty. But um I think him along with Justin Lewis are both really big long wings that I think will profile well to the NBA with the the skill that they have offensively. So what do you think about uh, either one of them? I know Ron Harper isn't, you know, I don't have him in like the first round or anything, but he is a very draftable second round player to me.
1: Yeah. You see, you seem to like these like big, big guys, long wingspans you can shoot. Uh, yeah. Ron Harper Jr. For me, I just like have real question marks about being able to stay in front of people. Um, it's just the lateral movement. Like, I was watching But him if he can
0: play the three or four instead of like the two or three, I think that helps him a lot. And he seems long <laughs> enough to do that.
1: Maybe, but then my worry is that like then, okay, his physical, what would be a physical advantage playing the two is now gone because of playing That's, the four yeah. and playing against guys that are actually bigger. So, Ron Harper Jr., I've, I'm struggling to get there with, but I to be fair, I've not dove into tape on him for a little while. I just caught him in the scrimmage of the day. Um, Justin Lewis. He was one that I, I watched actually after you brought up, uh, to me a few weeks ago. Um, I watched a little bit of him. Um, I, yeah, I'm intrigued. Like, I, I get it. I think probably more early second for me, but it, it's definitely of interest. Um, I like his skill set. Like you say, he's super long. He's like actually a little bit more athletic than I think people think. Um, and he can play some more defense. So I definitely hire on, on Lewis, the second one.
0: All right, there we go. Do we want to move into uh, yeah. the last section here?
1: Yeah, so we're, on the last section, we're going to touch on the scrimmages. So we'll have to say that we are recording this after the first set of scrimmages. So the second set today, we're not going to be able to get to those. We might cover that in a future episode. But on the scrimmages, both the G League uh Elite Camp and the Chicago Combine. And also just generally, like, who do we think uh the stock is on the up or on the down in terms of the draft or from the scrimmages. And we're gonna try and not cross over too much with the names that we've already brought up. Um, so I, I do think with the scrimmages, something to be aware of, most people playing are probably going to be guys who are in are trying to get picked around that forty five pick. Like so I almost think if you, if you do if you watch any of the scrimmages or you want to go back and watch them back, you almost need to watch that with pick number 45, like, in mind. The only guy who I maybe think would be uh, considered at 15 is maybe Jalen Williams, who actually played. And I have a feeling that he might not play today on the second day because, like, things can only go down from here. He's doing so well. Um, So I'm going to get started here with someone who I think has slipped pretty drastically. In fact, I don't even know if I enter the draft anymore. And that's Patrick Baldwin Jr., who... Mm. He he randomly chose not to play the scrimmages after originally saying it was going to be. But, and this again, is a little bit measurement linked, so I'm kind of cheating here, but he was second to the last in lane agility. He was sixth last in the shuttle run and second to last in the standing vert. So you're now talking about someone who's essentially, everything is screaming out saying that he is 6'10 and he's long, but he is one of the worst athletes in this draft and there's 76 people at this combine. You then compare that to the NBA, he's probably one of the worst athletes in the NBA, both in terms of vertically, laterally, and, like, yes, he can shoot, but I I just, like, you see, like, Davis Burton's, like, he's got always, like, a comp, like, someone who can't move anywhere but can shoot a lot. Yeah, there's a role for that, but that struggles to get on the floor in, like, any important game. And outside of that one good season that Bertons had, he's been a pretty borderline, you know, NBA rotation player. So, like, Pat Baldwin is someone who I think is... is Definitely Stock has slid, and I'm very confused. If he wasn't going to play, why did he even take part in the measurements? Like, that's that's a confusing one for me.
0: Yeah, and this hurts because I was a huge Pat Baldwin fan, uh, like, going into the year and at the beginning of the year. I thought it was cool as hell that he went to Milwaukee over Duke to play for his dad. I, I, I thought, thought so,
1: too.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I even... Going into the year, like, I feel like people kind of knew he wasn't like this number one option shot creator, but man, he really struggled at Milwaukee with the ball in his hands. Uh, he was, he's supposed to be a shooter, but he hasn't been an efficient shooter in like a year and a half, uh, in like pretty much any setting. Uh, he not, wasn't a playmaker at Milwaukee. Uh, he didn't really even get a chance to show it because their guards weren't very good and they just weren't a very good team, even in the Horizon League, which, uh, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't care like what the reason of it is. I like, I'm not saying it's his fault or anyone's fault in specific, but if you are coming into the year uh as a top five prospect, that is ma- trying to put yourself in position to get the number one pick. You cannot be the leader of one of the worst teams in the horizon league. It's just, like NBA teams are just not going to like that. They're going to look at the competition that you played, look at the level of talent on your team. And they're going to be like, why didn't you elevate that? Whether it's a, a fair question to ask or not, like, who knows but uh it's it, i i've been it, it's hurt, it's hurt me to watch the slide that Patrick Baldwin has taken because i really like them going into the year i love tall shooters uh and he absolutely is that uh if he pans out but i think you're right that it probably might benefit him to just go like go go transfer to duke like where he might have gone if he didn't go to milwaukee like tra- transfer to duke play off of you know any of the like number uh, their number one recruiting class this year um and just don't be like the leader of your team, and maybe he'll just feed off the open shots and improve his stock again and be able to get picked in the top twenty-ish. But I don't if think that's If he just stay in the
1: draft, if he just stay in,
0: he might fall to the second round, which would be really bad for a yeah. player that came I, I'm, in. I'm
1: I'm thinking not just fall to the second round. I'm thinking he could fall. Like it wouldn't like it wouldn't shock me right now if you told me that Hornets, you're on the clock of forty-five. Pat Bowlen's available. Like we've seen. Yeah. Things like that happened before. Um, not often, but like, who uh, was a good example? Uh, Brandon Boston last year. Perfect, yeah. okay. Played for Kentucky, was a top high school recruit, had a horrible season, didn't have a good pre-draft process, ended up sliding to like the late second round, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah, EJ Boston, time. that's actually a, like a perfect comparison. They were yeah. pretty much in the same draft range at the beginning of the year, played poorly in just in different scenarios, and now both of them, are looking at the same kind of deal, yeah. That's a, that's I, like I hadn't thought of that. That's like a perfect.
1: Yeah. Draft so, draft. so I think you could maybe see some some Pat Baldwin. After this week, you'll start seeing him getting mocked. Maybe around where the Hornets are picking, and that's why I think he might get back. Um, Chase, give us someone else who you think is maybe slid, maybe from something that you've seen in the scrimmages.
0: Um, hmm, this is the see. This is a tough one. Uh, I think that I don't know about slid, but um, the Leonard Miller hype. Uh, my, took a little bit of a hit, I think. He was like, he hit, was 0 for 6 from 3, and I don't think he hit the rim on like 3 of them. Uh, and a couple of them were wide open. So he, he didn't look great. i um, I, I still think he's like a very interesting player. He's like 6'10", but moves like Shea Gildas Alexander with like the herky jerky, like, kind of slow, but still really athletic, uh, like type of movement. Uh, and he has some touch on his jumpers when they do go in. It's just, Working out the mechanics because he kind of he's like a little bit erratic at this point because he hasn't played uh, super high level competition or for like a high level program yet. But, uh,
1: do you, you want to just explain for people maybe who don't have a clue who Leonard Miller is? Like,
0: oh yeah, okay, wh-
1: where he has played, what his background is.
0: All right, so Leonard Miller is like he since he w- is from Canada and is has been uh, away from like high school essentially for long enough, even though it's not called high school in Canada and is over the age of 18. He can be drafted into the NBA, even though he has not played uh, in college or even for like G League Ignite or internationally or anything. Uh, he played for Fort Erie International Academy last year, uh, which is a part of the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association for all of our friends north of the border out there that uh, know what I'm talking about, but they, he didn't play like very high level competition uh, he it was a really like weird setting to evaluate him because he was so much better than everyone else he was playing. And he and the rest of his team knew that uh, I haven't watched like a ton of games of him because they're like somewhat hard to find. But from what I've seen, it's kind of like it's a little bit like how LaMelo played in high school, but just a, like different a different skill set. Like just you're just so far above like a lot of the people that you're playing with that it it's not like. The same type of basketball that he would be playing in, like a combine scrimmage, for example. But uh, I have him in like the early second round. I've seen him in, in the top ten on some people's boards, which is like oh, that's a lot. That's a lot it? for me. That's that's a lot. Um, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Like that's that's way too much projection for. for I, I think team. you're
1: right. He, he was getting some first round buzz going right. into the combine. I think, I think now, now for the combine, well, you you even if you were adjusting in the first round, you always knew he was a project. So it's not a surprise yeah. that he's. Struggling in something like the draft combined setting, but you're right. That's that's a great that's a great one. Definitely someone who hasn't helped himself. Let's put it that way. Yep.
0: and he could he could go to college uh, or the G League Ignite well or as well because he's still eligible for them. He's never attended either one. I think he's being recruited by. Uh, I'm doing do this off my top of my head: Arizona, Kentucky, Alabama, Arizona State, and I think the G League Ignite are the five like, th- uh, like schools and programs that he's considering right now. So. Uh, I mean if he doesn't get picked if he's not like a first round lock, I could see him going to one of those places and being a I agree. next and year. If
1: he stays in the draft again to bring it back to the Hornets, could be there at forty five. I yeah. think that's very reasonable. Um I think he'd be a two way guy. I don't think he'd be taking a contract up in the NBA. I think he'd be he'd be someone that you want to stash down in Greensboro, let him play, let him get the play development staff. And again, if I'm him, I'm maybe not taking that, that I'm not staying in the draft if I'm only getting two way offers. But yeah, he's he's not someone I ever want to offer a roster spot to right now, especially for Charlotte position that they're in. But um, but if he's open to it, if he's just determined to get to the NBA no matter what, he doesn't care the contract, again, I I probably like I'd probably lower on Lennon Miller the most, but I can I can see why you would go that route. Do, okay, so you wanna give us a, a positive one. So someone who you think you see who's done who's done really well and might have helped themselves, the Bones Highland effect.
0: I, you're, you're gonna love this one. Uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr. Yes, Kenny, Kenny Lawson. I have loved him this week. He is. And,
1: and last week, by the way. And,
0: yes, with, yes, he was also, he that he got invited, uh, from the G League Elite Camp to yeah. the NBA Combine along with, uh, six other guys. So uh, he, the NBA community was impressed with him as well as opposed to just like the, you know, people watching and analysts and stuff like that. He is like impressively quick and light on his feet. Really? Especially in the open court, and to go couple with that, he uses his ties really well, like around the basket and going to the basket. like he knows that he's quick and way bigger than everybody else. And so, there's and a lot of
1: size for, for people who don't know, there's a lot of size, right? He's okay, a big not.
0: yeah, he's a big dude. And he, he like and it's and it's perfectly fine. like he's he's he looks like he's in shape. he's can move around. He can shoot a little well, bit.
1: Is it fine? I, I like I, th- I think it's alright. He's I mean, like Raekwon.
0: He's to lose a Raekwon
1: gray, cover. Dexter Pittman style body. So, like, yeah. for people who follow the draft, like, he's. I
0: I liked Raekwon too. So He's, I, he's I, very I, thick.
1: That's yes. the word I'm. Thick, thick set. No, he um,
0: definitely is.
1: But I, I completely agree with you. He does move well considering his size. And, um, yeah, he's. He's a super unique prospect. Like, he's a unicorn, maybe in, like, a, a non-unicorn-y way. <laughs> I yeah, don't
0: know. I he's like a, like a centaur almost as opposed <laughs> to a, a, a yeah. unicorn. But he was also really productive in college too. So it's not like um, this is something that's just, like, coming out of nowhere. Like, he's a two-time All-Conference USA player with Louisiana Tech. He averaged 17 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and a steal last year. Uh, he's shown a little bit of shooting at the combine as well. He made, made his mm. jumper looks pretty nice. Uh, he made a couple of the G League Elite camp too. Uh, he's got a nice touch around the rim. Like I, I, I bet he plays a role on an NBA team at some point in the next, you know, like handful of years or something like that. Like I, he's just, just finds a way. He seems to find a way and he seems really like really cool and nice, like off the court. I'm uh, like just kind of like generally. Like happy and appreciative, like to just to be there and stuff like that, and I think that that's that's cool.
1: And I think you know, for him to come through the G League Elite Camp, through the Chicago Draft Combine, like that's that's awesome. And I think he's working.
0: He's working. Like that. Yeah, I think he can
1: definitely be draftable. Like I'd have Mm -hmm. him with Leonard Miller in my draft board, no question.
0: Okay, where so where do you know where uh, the general range for them is right now? That that that's very interesting. I I have Kenneth Lofton on my uh, draft board as well, like in the. Top six. I
1: probably have Lofton in like the forty five to fifty five range, and I have Miller in like the fifty-five to seventy range, something like okay. that.
0: All right. Alright. So who yeah, who impressed you?
1: Um so I have Lofton Jr. on my list. Um we're not going to talk about Jalen Williams, because we've already done Jalen Williams. Yeah. I think he's impressed us both. We know that. I got two names left. Um oh, do you wanna go for someone from NC State or from someone Ooh. from Colorado?
0: That's okay, I'll i I'll guess. Is it is it turquavian Smith because i I had him too, or is no. it Sebron? okay i like I like this because I, I like talking about both of these guys, they are really okay well we can do awesome. these we yeah. can almost
1: do these together um, okay perfect Sebron was uh, essentially like a six five guard they essentially made him a point guard this year um put the ball in his hands and is probably like one of the best downhill attackers in transition or even in the half court like in the country, just relentless attacking the rim, even if he does miss, he just grabs his own rebound and goes back up like. Really good athlete for his size, really quick, and then like defensively in the scrimmage, was all over Colin Gillespie. Colin Gillespie shot like mm-hmm. two of twelve or two of fifteen because just Sebron was not giving him any room to breathe at all. And I loved kind of seeing the two-way style of it. Um, he can't really shoot the ball, but you're talking about again just sort of like the thing about the Hornets like to play in transition, like size for the position. Like, he ticks both of those boxes, and he plays defense, too. So, I really liked what I seen in Like, that's probably, like, he's one of the guys that I've not got around to watching yet. And straight away, even before he saw, like, I know he finished, like, one of the top scorers on the team, but it was actually his rebounding and his defense that really yeah. popped off in the scrimmage that I saw yesterday. Um, so, so, I really liked what I, what I saw for Sebron. I didn't see this at Craven Smith game, which was yesterday. So I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on DeQuavon. I've seen the box score but um I didn't get to see him. A, so, just to make yeah this is this is C-Bron's college teammate. So yes. DeQuavon Smith and Seabron were both on NC State. So each of them I think like led both of their teams respectively in scoring yesterday while being on separate teams, which is a, which is a really cool story.
0: Yeah, I think I think they both yeah, they both scored 17 points. Uh, um and it was it's so funny because it's in such different ways like in college Terquavian Smith uh like a 37% shooter from 3 on like 8 attempts per game which that's is That's pers- break
1: volume that is.
0: Yeah. Like that's just so awesome for a freshman in the ACC to just be like absolutely firing away from beyond the arc without hesitation for in- the entire year. Like he j- he knows that he can get buckets and that's like his main skill and it's going to be in the NBA. Uh he averaged 16.3 points per game last year. And four rebounds while being listed at 160 pounds. So obviously he's going to gain a little bit of weight, uh, even if he is just like an NBA guard. Um, but he at six four, like he could get like a little bit of like combo-ish potential because while he's not a very good passer right now, he, he is a willing passer. It's just not like a part of his game because for so much of his life, he's just been a scorer. And it was really NC State was the first time that he had been surrounded by. Players that were also like capable of going to the NBA. And, um, I thought it was funny, even his, or not funny, I guess it was interesting. Even his coach, Kevin Keats, while they were talking to him, uh, on the interviews during the combine, he was like, yeah, I mean, we, we always knew like Turk was talented, but like after one season, uh, like him being this ready for the NBA, uh, it, it's like kind of surprised like all of us, but it just shows like how hard he works and like how seriously he takes himself and like all of that kind of thing. Um, He's just like he's just such a fun prospect. He's pretty explosive too, and he he can really shoot off the dribble. Uh, he comes off of screens like with like looking to shoot, um, like takes good angles and stuff like that. Um, he didn't shoot well Oh, and the uh, just knocked my headphone out on my ear, but he didn't shoot he well.
1: Excited about
0: Smith, everybody. I know I'm, I'm ripping my headphones out. I can barely even contain myself, but um he didn't shoot well from three in that combine scrimmage the on Thursday, but they're like, they're not bad misses. Like, I think they're misses that NBA teams will settle with. And he, he's, I think he's going to be picked in the in the first round. And I I want to say, uh, give a shout out to Raphael Barlow. He was like the first, uh, like mainstream draft analyst, I think, or like, like mo- the, the first and most popular draft, or draft analyst to be like pushing Turk Smith in like the top 20-ish range. And I, th- I think that that's that he, that might be where he ends up through workouts and it, and if he plays in that second scrimmage today, which will we we won't know because we're, we're recording this like right before they start, um, it could definitely help him
1: even more. Do you think um do you think he's more of a two than a one? Like again, think of if it's fit in Charlotte, if Charlotte were to move back or if they were to select him at fifteen, what do you think his role would be on the Hornets?
0: Definitely more of a two than a one, especially right now. Um, and I think cause he has the size to play the two well, or a two as well, that definitely helps. Like if he were six two, uh, I don't think he'd probably be as high on people's draft boards cause the like errant and, you know, enthusiastic passes that don't necessarily work out, uh, wouldn't be as attractive, uh, cause it's more of like a secondary skill now, uh, than his primary skill, which is just putting the ball through the hoop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think he, he, would have an interesting role in Charlotte. It would be, it would be tough to find minutes for him and James Book Knight and Terry Rozier, like all on the same team. But, um, I, I mean, I, I, I would be, I would be interested to see how that worked out. Uh, if it ended up that way, but, and we'd be, we'd be keeping him home. He's from, uh, North Carolina as well. So that would okay. be, that'd be pretty awesome. I think he's from Greenville, I think is what it was. Yeah. Greenville, North Carolina.
1: Okay. My last guy, and we'll, we'll finish the pod here. Jabari Walker. For Colorado, who had a really good game yesterday, um, shot the ball well, rebounds the ball well, and essentially he is—he's uh, a six-nine forward who is like a, just a stretch four, like a stretch three-four, and he can guard really well. Like my comp is like a Dorian Finney-Smith type, like big body, elite rebounder in college, um, but can also shoot the ball really well. Um, he yeah, I thought he just popped off the page in the scrimmage, playing hard on defence, he got out in transition and run. He didn't just rely on his three point shot, this is the big thing. Like a lot of people in their scrimmages, they're just looking to get to the three point shot. Jabari Walker didn't do that. He didn't settle. He played like good team basketball. So he's a guy like I've probably one of my favorites for like the forty fifth pick is Jabari Walker. And his range is probably right around there, between like forty five yeah. and fifty five. And he's almost like a a stronger JT, better shooting JT Thor, but JT Thor's definitely got an edge on him and kind of like off the dribble game and, and length and, and, defense. Uh, but like, again, you just can't have too many guys like kind of Grant Williams mold. Strong, can defend, can shoot the ball. Um, I really like Javari Walker. Um, I hope he's there at 45. He's definitely going to be probably like towards the end of the second round. So end of the first round, start the, second for me in probably my final breakboard so that's what I'm looking at
0: yeah I think Jabari is going to fit really well um in like an up-tempo offense so I, he'd be good with the Hornets I think he's a really good transition finisher and even a, a pretty decent playmaker in transition um like when he gets the ball in his hands he you know makes typically makes a quick decision on whether or not to go to the rim or to pass the ball but um I, another, I, real I know we said that was the last one, but I like Ryan Rollins for that, um, 45 pick as well. Uh, I think he was really good in that combine scrimmage. Uh, he was really athletic. He played really hard around the rim. He had a couple, he had a nice tip dunk. He had five rebounds. Uh, and Julian Champenny also is a number, is a 45 guy that I would like. I love, uh, the, the St. John's pipeline. The New York basketball players are awesome. That'd be another one after James Booknight. Um, he had 12 points on 10 shots, which isn't, like, overly efficient, but he is pretty tall, uh and he can really score. So that'd be a good one in the second so round. So
1: if people want to go away from here and watch some tape on guys who could be second-round targets, I think maybe we just talk about that. There's some names to go at. So Jabari Walker, one for me. uh bron from NC State, another. Okay. For you, who are the three you just mentioned?
0: Uh, I like Julian Champagny. I like Ryan Rollins. Uh, did I mention another guy, or was it just a, Yeah, sorry, you
1: mentioned Aquaville Smith, but he's not oh, and, and, Yeah, so, he probably wasn't. So it. there's four uh, names won, right there.
0: London's Williams, we'll throw, we'll throw him in there, he played alright. Okay. So here.
1: there's five names right there that I think you can probably go away, have a look at, watch some YouTube films, do, do want everyone do, if you've got some games stored up on your, your box, you can watch them recorded, I'd definitely suggest that, it's better for scouting, but um yeah, those are some names to look at in the second round. Um alright, I think we will leave it there for our Chicago slash G-League Elite Camp Combine wrap-up. Um, that was a lot of fun. Obviously, like, 76 prospects coming through the Chicago Combine. We're not going to touch on all of them. But I think, like, if you weren't able to watch anything but kind of wanted to know, like, what are the things that stood out, I think we touched on all the, the big the big topics here. So, um, Chase, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast with me. I appreciate it. And we'll be back with you for another episode of the Hornets Draft Show soon.